This is such an exciting and just magical time of year. Um, it's December 1st. Can you believe it? It's December 1st. And so that means um, that you are allowed to decorate for Christmas. <laughs> All right. How many of you have your tree up? Already, maybe do that this weekend. Um, so we're looking forward to decorating. We're looking forward to baking that delicious cookie exchange, maybe that you're part of. Um, perhaps you shopped on Black Friday. How many of you got a good deal? Maybe you got a good anybody? A couple, not many people got a good deal. All right, I know some of you aren't starting shopping until December 24th, uh, but start thinking. Start thinking about it right now. Um, so we're starting to get into Christmas gear. And this Christmas series that we're starting today is going to be all about gifts. It's going to be all about gifts that God our Father gives to us. So this is the season of giving. This is the season of receiving. And so Jesus Christ loves to give us gifts. The scripture says in James 1.17 that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So God's love for you is so great that he looks for every opportunity to give you a gift. He desperately wants you to know that you are loved, that you are valued by him. Um, in fact, I even think like they, they have that book about the five love languages. One of God's primary love languages is he expresses it through giving. He loves to give to us. And not only does God give us gifts freely and generously, he selects them perfectly. He knows just what we need. He knows exactly when we need it, and he even knows it before we can even ask. So a few months ago, I have a picture here of my youngest daughter, Mercy. She's four. And she was sitting at the kitchen table having a hot dog for lunch. Um, she likes it without a bun and lots of ketchup. Okay, very particular about her hot dogs, and um, she was struggling um, to cut her hot dog because all she had was a plastic spoon. So it was just like going all over the plate, and, and it just wasn't doing the trick. So of course, I just instantly reached into the drawer. I gave her a fork and a butter knife, problem solved. She mowed down that hot dog as fast as before I could even turn around. And you know what? Jesus talked to me in that moment through a hot dog. <laughs> And, and he said to me, you know what, I see what you need. Like, I see when you're struggling to accomplish. I want to replace your plastic spoons with a fork and a butter knife. And I was so eager to help Mercy. I knew exactly what, he, what she needed. I knew exactly where to find it. I knew what to give her. And, and I did that so freely as her mom. And God himself is so eager to help us. He's eager to give good gifts to his children, gifts that will help them accomplish God's will for their lives. And in fact, this is a scripture in Matthew 7, 11. It says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, don't make fun of me that God talked to me through a hot dog because the day that a meatball or ravioli gives you the truth, you're gonna, all right. You're going to eat your words. Okay. So this month, all about gifts that God gives. And we're going to put this in practice. Um, so today, just by coming to church, I want you to know that you are a gift. 
Um, we're going to tally up our attendance for today, the kids, the volunteers, the people you see in this room, and we are going to tally it up, and whatever that amount is, uh, we're going to give it to the Erie Soldiers and Sailors Home. So if there are 600 people in the building this morning, we're going to give $600 this week to the Erie Soldiers and Sailors Home to be used to support activities and programs which directly benefit veterans and their family. So just by showing up today, just by coming out, yeah. And we're going to give just like that every Sunday until Christmas. So you want to get here, you want to bring people with you, because just by coming, you're going to bless the community of Erie. All right, so let's do that. Um, we're really, really excited to do that as a church uh, this, this month. So the specific gift that God gives that I want to talk about this week is the gift of another chance. It's the gift of another chance. Now, I first started this message by calling it the gift of a second chance. Um, then I started thinking back on my life. And I don't know about you, but I've needed more than two to get quite a few things right. And so I renamed it the gift of another chance. But God is the God of a fresh start. God is the God of another chance. And maybe this morning you're here and you have felt distant from God. Maybe it's your first time back in church in a while. Maybe, maybe you've, you've stumbled, you've fallen, you've messed up. You feel like God can't even use you anymore. Maybe you come to church every week, but you're replaying your mistakes and your sins over in your mind. Maybe even things that happened years ago, decades ago. And that just keeps going around and around, and you're, and you're convinced that your relationship with God can never be the same as it once was. And the gift that God wants to give you today is the gift of another chance. I want to talk in the Gospel of John today. In John 18, there's a man named Peter, and he's a man that I believe we can all relate to. Um, he all has these failures that are so familiar in all of our hearts, uh, he overestimates himself and underestimates temptation. Anyone ever do that? He thinks he's more committed than he is. He thinks he loves the Lord more than he does. He is totally convinced that any trial that comes his way, he will be triumphant. But most of the time what happens is he falls flat on his face, creating a huge mess, not just for him to clean up, but everyone around him. Let's just throw Peter a bone here for a minute. Will anyone admit, I can relate. I got some Peter in me. I got some moments that, that I thought that I could do this. I thought I could handle it. I thought I could have it all together. And then I end up flat on my face and someone had to come bail me out. I know I can. In John 18, we see Peter. He's bragging openly about how he would be faithful to Jesus even if everyone else falls away. Even if everyone else rejects him. He's confident. He's arrogant. He's strong. And we see in John 18, a few hours later, a teenage girl proves him to be completely weak. Under pressure, this bold, confident disciple melts like butter. <laughs> All right, he, he is just completely uh, off where he thought. The girl says, are you one of those men who were with Jesus? And Peter says, Jesus? I don't, I don't know who, who you're talking about. And then that happens three times in a row, three separate times. Peter denies even knowing the Lord. And the scripture talks about it, how moments later, Jesus was actually brought out from his trial before the high priest. They're taking him to be crucified. And in Luke twenty-two sixty-one, it says that the Lord turned, looked straight at Peter. He didn't have to say anything. 
And that's when the full impact of his sin hit him. And realizing what he had done, Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He, he just wept because he knew what he had done. He knew what he had failed to do. And in the middle of Peter's failure, he had no joy, he had no assurance, he had no boldness. If you would have seen him there, you would have not recognized him as the bold Peter, the, the, the disciple who had been following him around, cutting people's ears off, because he's like, that's my Jesus. He, he was completely shattered. But, but here's the news, and here's what I want to talk about more this morning, is that Peter's testimony doesn't end there. Thank God that's not the end of the story, and your failure isn't the end of yours either. And in John 21, we see how Jesus restores Peter and prepares him for an even greater work in the future. And Peter ends a whole different person, I believe, because of the way that Jesus deals with his failure. So we're going to look at John 21 today. Um, and and I, I really, if you have your Bible with you um, or a piece of paper, uh, you might want to just get ready, because I have to tell you, there are so many incredible things to learn in this passage. Um, I believe that in John 21, the lessons are all in the details. Okay, how many of you would say I'm a detail person? I'm all about the details. I love the details. Now, it's all about the small things, and if you were to read quickly through John 21, or maybe you've read this scripture before, and you're like, okay, like I know this one. Like, I've seen this one, like a movie you put on again. I want you to, to get ready because I really believe that as we look really closely at the details, that the Holy Spirit is going to reveal some really new things. So get your pencils ready, okay? Tap the person next to you. Be like, hey, come on, she's going to say something important here. So here's what happens. Peter has this big fail moment. Jesus goes to the cross. He's crucified. Peter never gets to talk to him before that. So Peter fails. He doesn't get to talk to Jesus. Jesus goes to the cross. He dies on the cross. So Peter thinks his chances are over. And it says in John 21 verse 2 that this is the first thing that Peter does. Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and it lists some other disciples, they get in a boat to go fishing. They get in a boat to go fishing. Men really know the right time to go fishing. They get in that boat. Now, the details of this group of men are composed of some of the first disciples who Jesus called to live life with them. So three years earlier, this is the exact place that these fishermen were called from their nets to follow Jesus. I want you to remember that detail because it's important later. Okay, this is the exact place. They went back to the exact place where three years earlier, Jesus had come and said, come follow me, be my disciple. In fact, as they looked around the lake from their boat, they could see the place where, where they witnessed Jesus feed 5,000 with a small lunch. They're, they're rowing by. They see the cliff that Jesus sent the, all the demons into the pig, and the pig goes off the cliff, all the herd of pigs. They, they keep rowing, and they see that place where the, the road to Cana, where Jesus did his first miracle. That place was rich with memories of their journey with their Savior. And so they are literally going around thinking about all of the things that they had done with Jesus. And in John 21.3, it gives us this detail that Peter and his friends went fishing at night. They went fishing at night. So why is this important, do you think? Why is this important? Well, we see other things happening in the scripture at night. For example, Nicodemus is a man in John 3 
who came to find Jesus at night, and he was afraid of what people would think of him. He was afraid he would lose his status or lose his reputation, and so he went looking for Jesus when no one would see him. And in John 11:10, Jesus says, it is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. There's something dark about the night. Okay, say duh, right? I mean, there's something dark about it. Okay, but that's the point. This is what Jesus is saying. These references aren't just about night on the outside. They are about the literal or, or about the literal sun that had gone down. The scripture is telling us when it identifies it was night that there is darkness in our soul. Like there is night inside of our hearts. And that's what's going on with Nicodemus. He's ashamed of Jesus. And that's what's happening with Peter. Peter is dealing with this darkness, right? He's dealing with this darkness, this dark night of his soul. And so he had betrayed the Lord. And so the setting is really, really fitting. So when you read in the scripture about things happening at night, pay attention. Because God is is probably revealing this darkness, this sin that's happening. Okay, so in John 21 verse 3. Uh, It says, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Okay, so we see another really vital detail here. It's not translated as a boat, okay? What does it say? The boat. Like, the boat. It's a specific boat. And the disciples went out and they got into a very specific boat. It was the same boat that Peter left three years ago when Jesus came to him and said, come with me and I will make you a fisher of men. That was the same boat. Peter had left that boat. And what we're seeing here in John 21 isn't just a spontaneous, random fishing trip in the dark. This is Peter saying, you know what? I screwed up. I screwed up really bad, and I think I'm just going to go back to who I was. I'm just going to go back. You know what? I, I quit. Like, I thought I could do this. I thought I could follow Jesus with my whole heart, but it is just too hard, and, and, it, and it requires me to just give up too much. And so I'm going to go back to the place that I knew. I'm going to go back to the place that made sense, the place where I put my pole in the water, I picked up a fish, and then I ate it. And that's all I had to figure out. Peter was thinking, I never thought it would be like this. I never thought it would hurt this bad. The dream of everything that I knew to be true just exploded when when Jesus was crucified on the cross. I think I'm just going to go back to my old life. Have you ever told God you quit? Have Have you ever told God, this is just too hard? I'm just going to go back. To, to my old life. I'm just going to go back to that old habit. I'm just going to go back. I can't change. I've tried to change. I've tried to change so many times. I'm just going to let this be the thing. I'm just going to let, let this part of my life stay the same. Maybe you've never said it out loud, but maybe some of you right now in this moment know it real deep down. It's that thing that you'll never admit to anyone. If you know that feeling, that's where Peter's at in the boat in John 21. 
And then Jesus, he just, he's, he, he's just showing us in the scripture, there's so many sermons in this one word, this one verse. He says, then they went out, they got into the boat. Okay, we went over that one. But that night, they caught nothing. They caught nothing. Peter is trying to live in the past. He's trying to go back to where he came from. He's trying to do the same things he used to do, the the same things that, that he thought he could do. And you know what's happening? It's not working. They caught nothing. There were fish in the lake, everybody. Okay, that was not the problem. They caught nothing. You see, when we meet Jesus, it all changes. We can't go back to our old life anymore. That's behind us. That, that, all those things we did, all that wrong, all that betrayal, that's behind us. And you know what's in front of us? A future and hope and eternity and things that God's going to take us to and live forever. And what Jesus is saying here is this. There is no turning back. Even if you go back to your old life, you will catch nothing. It won't be the same anymore because you cannot unknow. You cannot unsee. You cannot unexperience the presence of God. That's what he says. And I just, I just believe today that God is wanting to tell someone in this room, quit trying to go back to your old life because it's not going to work anymore. You're different. You are different. If the Holy Spirit of God is in you because you've professed Jesus as your Savior, you are different. And every time you go back and try to act different and live, go back to that old life, you are going to catch nothing. It will not be fruitful. So nothing looked any different to the disciples, right? They're in the boat. The boat's still slimy. Okay, the air is still crisp. The, the, the water is still cold. But just what I love is little did they know They're in the boat on the water, probably all kind of looking at each other like, what just happened? We don't know how to process this. And you know what was happening in the supernatural? Do you remember? Jesus Christ was changing everything. Jesus Christ was defeating death. He was conquering sin. He wasn't just dead. He was rewriting history for all of humanity. Nothing would ever be the same for all of humanity after that. They're just fishing in a boat. (laughs) What do we do? We don't know. And Jesus is at work changing all of eternity for all of us. And I just love that truth because what's happening is when we're trying to go back to our old life, Jesus is just conquering death and killing sin and giving us all the tools we need to live in victory. All right, so John 21, 4. I'm only on verse 4. Okay, it says this. Early in the morning, Jesus, they fished all night. They caught nothing. Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And so he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Who is this guy? He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And when they did... They were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, in my mind, when they're like, throw the net to the other side, Thomas is like, I doubt it. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I just can't. Okay. All right. Anyway. Ah, Get the Grinch back out here. So the scripture says that when the nets are full of fish, John 
the one who Jesus loved, he recognizes him. He says, it's the Lord. I recognize him. I don't know if he recognized his voice or he recognized just this is who God does. He always takes nothing and turns it into something. I know these miracles. I recognize this guy. And then Peter in verse 7 puts on his garment uh, because I looked this up. In Jewish culture, it would be indecent to just appear before another person without it. And he, <laughs> and he jumps in the water and he starts swimming to shore. I love this guy. He's ridiculous. You can get there way faster in the boat. <laughs> but he's like, I'm going. I, I, I failed him, and now I want to see him again. It's my friend. If this is really him, I want to be the first one to see him. Now, I don't know if or when the disciples realized what was happening, but Jesus in John 21, like I told you in verse 1, Jesus was taking them back. He, he was recreating a scene he was staging a miracle for Peter and the disciples because he wanted to take them back to the place they've been before. Jesus is taking them back to that moment when they first chose to follow him. That moment when Peter met him and the revelation of who Jesus was stunned and captivated him so much that he abandoned his entire life to follow Jesus. And somehow Peter is back in the same boat at the same lake, swimming and running as fast as he can toward the same Jesus where it all began. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I, I, I just wonder, do you remember that moment in your life? Like, do you remember the moment that you met Jesus for the very first time? The, the, the moment where his presence was so overwhelming, so amazing, that you said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set everything down. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to chase after the things in this life that he says is important. I'm going to make all my decisions yield to him. I'm going to follow him. Do you remember that moment? And, and I believe sometimes we should spend a little bit more time remembering that moment. Because what's happening here is Jesus is revealing himself to Peter all over again. In, in the wake of Peter's miserable failure, Jesus doesn't come back to the shore to straighten out Peter's theology or, or to put a finger in his face and say, Peter, I, I knew you would fail me. I knew it. I knew when it came down to it. He, he didn't come back and say, let me give you a foolproof plan uh, to never fail again. Step one. That wasn't what Jesus was doing. What Peter needed in the middle of his failure was a fresh revelation of the love of God. <laughs> Peter needed to hear that nothing in God's purpose for him had changed and that Jesus still loved him deeply. And in the same way that Jesus loved him when he first called him off of that same boat to be fishers of men, and that same love Jesus was revealing to Peter again. That's how Jesus treated Peter's failure. Jesus said to Peter, hey, remember, remember that day that you stepped off this boat and you ran toward me and you followed me? And Jesus says, yeah. And, 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 or Peter says, yeah. And Jesus says, okay, that's the same love I have for you today too. Even though you failed, even though you failed once, you failed twice, you failed three times. And so Jesus shows up on the beach of Peter's life just when Peter is about to throw in the towel and he comes with this fresh revelation and reminder of how long and deep and wide is the love of Jesus. All right, one more detail I want to talk about. So Peter starts swimming to shore to see his Savior. 
And when Peter gets to shore in John 21, verse 9, it says this. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. At first glance, not important. Okay, there's a fish. They're, they're having breakfast. Breakfast for, or fish for breakfast, I guess. Fish for lunch, fish for dinner. That was their main fish tacos. Um, and most of the time, theologians, when we talk about this moment in scripture, what they're bringing to our attention is that um, Jesus had resurrected from the dead and he had a physical body. So ghosts or spirits, they don't eat fish or bread. And so what they're saying here is that this moment was a firsthand account that Jesus actually had rose from the dead in bodily form because he was eating. Okay, which is amazing. But I, when I studied this to prepare for this Sunday, I looked at the scripture from a different angle and from Peter's perspective. And I, and I said to the Lord, why is this in here? Why, why is this detail important? Why, as a part of Peter's second chance story, why do we need to know that there was a fire, there were coals, and they were cooking fish? It seems strange. But I want to tell you, here's what I found. John uses this description one other time in the New Testament, in the whole New Testament. And it's in John 18, 18. When Peter denied Jesus, it says this, it was cold and the servants and the officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. And Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. Now, now, smells evoke memories, okay? Smell, have you ever been someplace and you smell a certain fragrance and it takes you straight back to a time of your life? Anyone? That's why Yankee Candle Company makes all their money, okay? Because it's all about smells. They take you back. They, they, the sea breeze smell makes you comfortable. You know, the pumpkin smell gets you in the Thanksgiving mood. That's why girls sleep in their boyfriend's hoodies because it smells like them, okay? That was cute when you were 15. Um, that's, there's a candle that burns in my mom's bathroom that takes me back to high school every time. It's just, I come out of there really deja vu. Like, what? What is happening? These smells, they take us back to places, now, I can't help but think that Peter gets on to the shore, and he, he, he is smelling the fire, and he's looking around, and he's getting this pit in his stomach remembering what happened. He, he might be going, whoa, whoa, this is a little bit, I was here before. This is right before I denied Jesus. Like, like, this is the exact moment. There's the fire, there's the smell, there's the, but I'm standing in front of Jesus. He's right here. What's going on? And he's getting this pit in his stomach. And Jesus says to him, bring some of that fish you just caught. And I just, it's as if Jesus is saying, you know what? This feels familiar, but you bring some of that miracle I just did. That new miracle I just did, you bring some of that over because right now, Peter, you and me, we're going to have a redo. Right now, Peter, you and me, you bring some of that fish that you just caught, that new miracle, and let's put it on the fire and we're going to rewrite this memory together because I am the God of a fresh start and I am the God of a second chance. And he says, bring those fish over. Thank you, Jesus, for new fish on new fires, right? Thank you, God. 
that he gives Peter this other chance and he rewrites this memory. And he says, listen, listen, Peter, you messed up. There, there will be cost for this. Sin, sin is costly. But I died on the cross a few minutes ago so that I could stand here and say the miracle that we just did. You take that fish and you put it on this new fire and let's do this again, Peter. Let's do this again. Let's go be fishers of men. So in John 21, 15 through 25, which is probably what you thought I was going to preach about, but I only got five verses in, we see this conversation that Jesus and Peter have. And Jesus starts by saying, when, you had, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Jesus is pointing to the fish. He's pointing to the boats. And he's pointing to the disciples And he's saying, I know when you failed, you went back to your old life, but I want to ask you today, do you love me more than your business? Do you love me more than your stuff? Do you love me more than making money? Do you love me more than feeling important? Do you love me more than your old life? And Jesus is having this conversation with Peter, and I believe that Jesus is asking us the same question today. Do you love me more than all of this? Do you love me? Do you love me more than all of this? Jesus asks Peter three times this question. Some theologians believe that it's because Peter denied Christ three times, and so Jesus, again, is giving him this opportunity to give him the do-over. He'll give it to him again. Okay, let's just reverse. Let's just go back. Let's have a fresh start. But we know whether that was why Jesus asked him three times or not, or that's why Jesus cooked that fire and said, bring the new fish, that Jesus Christ is the God of another chance, that in the most healing way possible, he is the God of a fresh start. And you might be here this morning and thinking, yeah, yeah, pastor, but you don't know what I've done. In fact, nobody knows what I've done. In fact, I, 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 had, it, I had a failure just this week. I haven't It hasn't even been two Sundays, and the same thing I've been wrestling with is happening over and over. You know what? I don't know your failure, but I know the God who is greater than your failure. And your failure did not change God's plan for your future. Your failure did not change God's plan for your future. And I believe that's that's what Jesus is telling Peter, and that's what he wants to understand. That's what he wants us to understand. So here's what we're gonna do. This morning, I just want to take a moment for us to respond to God. So would you just bow your head and just close your eyes and just be thinking. If you are here today, first of all, and you have never asked Jesus to be Lord of your life, you have never asked Jesus to be the Savior of your soul, that is the very first thing I want to give you the opportunity for right now. Because the scripture says that God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son to die on a cross to make a way for us to have relationship with him. And if you have never accepted Christ into your heart, you can do that right now. God wants to give you the gift of another chance. God wants to give you that gift. And all you have to do is pray this prayer with me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray it here in just a minute, but if that's you, would you just raise your hand in the air right now? No one's looking at you. This is one of the most important decisions. It's not embarrassing. It's, it's the biggest step. Just raise your hand. All right, just pray this just silently to yourself with me. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Help me follow you every day. 
I believe that you died on a cross. I believe you were raised to life in three days and that you live right now. And I receive your Holy Spirit. Change my heart. Make me new again. Help me understand all that it is to be a child of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, one more. If you're here this morning and you would say, you know what? That other chance thing, like that fresh start thing, I need that. I'm hiding in shame. I'm hiding in hurt. I'm hiding in pain. I haven't even told anybody the things that's still real in my mind decades later. Maybe you feel like your decisions have messed up your future, that, that God has called you to things and you're not walking in them because you said, well, I messed up, I failed. Like there's no way that I can still do what God's asking me to do. God wants to give you the gift of another chance today. God wants to remind you that he will take you back to that moment where you first loved him and he will restore you and he will give you the gift of another chance. And so we just close your eyes again. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand. I just want to pray for you. Jesus, give us a fresh start today. Just remind us of the first time we met you. Give us a fresh revelation of the love of God. We repent of the sin in our lives that has kept us far from you. We want to be different, but we need your help. Would you help us be obedient to you? We refuse to quit. We refuse to go back. We refuse to be discouraged. Redeem our lives. Help us find a way back to you. In Jesus' strong name I pray, amen. Can we just thank God for the people that raised their hands this morning? Here's just the last little thing. Peter went on from breakfast that day with fire in his bones. He did so many great things for God. He preached to thousands. He performed miracles. He was even martyred for the sake of Jesus. But he penned these words in 1 Peter 4, 8. This was years later. He wrote this. Love covers a multitude of sin. It's my honor to be your pastor. I love you guys. It's a privilege of my life. We'll see you next Sunday at 10 a.m. Talk about more of God's gifts.